Great to be with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Steve and his family are on vacation. They left a couple days ago. They'll be gone most of the week, so I have the privilege of being here with you this morning. And then Ron Karras will be in the pulpit next week, and then after that, Steve will be back in Acts uh, as we work through that. Um, we're obviously not going to be in Acts today. You've seen your bulletins, um, and I think behind me, oh, that does say just 20. Good. If your bulletin says that I'm doing all of chapter 12 through verse 21 of 1 Corinthians, uh, don't be concerned. I'm actually stopping at verse 20, so we'll get in ta- out in time for lunch and, and all the rest. Um, but it's great to, great to get to be here today. I uh, hope you had a good time celebrating the advent of our Lord and the beginning of a new year. Well, I'm going to tell a story, and I'm going to try to keep it anonymous. Um, it's about a, a user of technology. It's not my wife. Um, but if I happen to say my dad, as I tell the story, just ignore that I said my dad and insert some guy. Okay, just let's keep it anonymous for his sake. Um, But there's this guy I know that uh, grew up, started using technology in the era of typewriters, and then when um, he got his first computer, it had MS-DOS on it. And if you remember typewriters and MS-DOS, every character is the same exact width. So an empty space is the same width as the letter I, is the same width as the letter M. There's no variation in the width of the characters. So this guy that I know, would use the space bar to align everything. So if he wanted to center the title, he'd use the space bar until it looked centered. And if he wanted to create an indent, he would use the space bar to do that. Uh, it worked great when every character was the same width. But then he installed Windows on his computer. And in Windows or Mac or any of your mobile devices, you know that characters have different widths. A blank space is not the same width as the letter M. And what this means is that hitting the space bar to line things up no longer works because everything is a different width. And it could look one way on your screen, but the the printer interprets that space differently. So what's on the screen comes out different than what's on the piece of paper. And this man that I know um, spent multiple years in Microsoft Windows word processors trying to line things up with the space bar. And he would get it looking just perfect on the screen and he would print it, and it would be a mess. Nothing would line up. The indents were all different. The list didn't line up. Things weren't centered. And I'd hear, oh, and paper would get thrown out. And he'd go back to the computer screen and change the spacing so that it looked really goofy on the screen, but it printed out right. Now, the problem is that in uh, word processors in, say, Windows or Mac or whatever else, uh, you're supposed to use tabs. To, to move things over, or the little center of the rows icon to make things center. You're not supposed to use your space bar. It's not designed that way. And my dad lived with literally years of frustration because he was trying to get the software to do something that it wasn't designed to do. It was designed to operate a certain way, and he was trying to use it a different way, and it didn't work. He got all sorts of frustrated in the process. And I would, I would suggest, if you, if you do it this way, it'll work right. Well, yeah, but I did this for years. And he'd go back and do it his old way. And it'll look really goofy on the screen. It would print out fine. Because he was trying to use something other than how it was intended. He was trying to accomplish something differently than how the designers intended it to happen. In, in the letter in Corinthians, uh, letter to the Corinthians, uh, Paul's writing to a, a pretty messy church. Um, in this section in, in chapter 12, he's in the middle of, um, of working through responding to a list of questions, complaints, issues that he had heard about in the church. And so there's just this kind of bullet point of issues that he's addressing. And um, in chapter 11, he deals with uh, communion, Lord's Supper. And then in chapter 12, he, he works his way into uh, addressing spiritual gifts and, and church gatherings and so forth. And one of the realities is that the Corinthians were trying to do church other than how God intended. So God intended the church to be and to function a certain way. And the Corinthians were trying to do something else with it. And they were getting into all sorts of trouble in the process. And one of the issues, when you read the letter, 
Uh, Paul gets very frustrated with the Corinthians, but he, he is operating out of a very pastoral heart. He loves the church and wants to see them mature. So I'm not standing here saying you guys are all immature and you need to hear this. That's not it at all. I'm actually preaching this passage because I'm fascinated by the imagery of the body of Christ as the church. I've been studying it and thinking about it, and so when Steve asked me to fill the pulpit today, I kind of dove into something I'd already been thinking about. Um, So this is not a you-guys-need-to-mature statement. But Paul is working through issues in the church where they were misusing it. And I think there's something for us to learn. In this passage, when Paul lays out, this is what the church is, this is how it is to function, we, as members of Kishwaukee Bible Church, will be much more effective at what God intends to accomplish through his church, and we will find much greater joy in the process if we go about it rightly. Word processors work really well if you know how to use them. But if you're trying to get your Mac computer to work like the typewriter did, you're going to have all sorts of frustration. So my heart, my, my goal uh, for today comes out of the, the goal of the passage. I believe the goal of this passage is that the church would operate as one as they seek to exalt Jesus as Lord. The goal of the passage is that the church would operate as one as they seek to exalt Jesus as Lord. And so out of that, my goal for us today is that we as a church would grow in two commitments. First, to function as a body. To function as a body, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that. And second, to exalt Jesus as Lord. We are all about Christ in so many ways. But Jesus as Lord is a very specific understanding and application. And so I desire to see us grow in that today. Uh, But I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into our text in verse 1. Father, thank you so much for gathering us. Thank you for the privilege of being your children. As Chris reminded us as we went through the Lord's Supper, uh, the guilt and the shame have been removed, and we now gather as your loved children. You have permanently and eternally removed the separation to reconcile our relationship so thoroughly. You don't just put up with us. You delight in us as your children, and we are grateful. And so, Father, we dive into this passage, and, and I ask that we as a church would grow in our understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ, that we would grow in our commitment to live that out, that we would grow in our understanding of the lordship of Christ, and that we would grow in our commitment to exalt Jesus as Lord. Uh, so use your, past, use your word well in your people for your glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the first point in your bulletins is called the goal. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. In that point, but I'm going to start just with verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The word gifts is not actually in the original verse 1. If you have an NASB Bible, um, gifts is italicized. That means that they added it to explain something. It's not actually there. There's a few other translations that skip the word gifts, and just say concerning that which proceeds from the Spirit of God or that which comes from the Spirit of God. Um, And I actually think that's a better translation. The word gifts isn't there. And and you'll see, it might be a small thing, but as we work through verses 2 and 3, they're they're dealing beyond the bounds of just spiritual gifts, these first opening verses. And then Paul applies what he says in the context of spiritual gifts. So keep that in mind. Gifts is actually, verse, verse 1 might, be, might better read, Now concerning that which is of the Spirit, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 2 uh, and 3 say this, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul's dealing beyond the bounds of spiritual gifts in these, these first few verses of this chapter. He's dealing with what the Corinthians were before they knew Jesus and what they were turned into when they were saved. Paul's telling them 
what God enabled them to be and to do through his spirit. It exceeds just certain abilities that we have for the community good. Paul uh, points out in verse 2, they used to worship worship pieces of, of wood and stone, mute idols. We breeze by that statement because we don't practice idolatry in that sense. Um, but think about it for a minute. If, if we were idolatry, idolatrous people in that way, if we worshiped idols, uh, you would have something that you need or desire in your life, and you find out what that idol responds to, and you gather up whatever resources you have to try to please that idol out of your own ability and your own resources so that that idol will do for you what you want. In that sense, idol worship is uh, entirely self-seeking and self-exalting. It completely depends on what we bring to the table and what we want to get out of that piece of wood or stone. That's who Paul's writing to. That's literally, he's writing him, telling him, this is what you used to do. Worship for you, Corinthians, used to be about you what you wanted, and what you could do. That's a really important context for everything that follows. And to those coming out of that background, in verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul draws a line in the sand between those that have the Spirit of God living in them and those that don't. And he points out the distinguishing factor. Those that do not have the Spirit of God reject Jesus, they cast him aside, and they cannot recognize him as Lord. They do not have that capacity. Those that do have the Spirit of God living in them, the flip side is that they cannot cast Jesus aside. They have to exalt Jesus as Lord. So, if, if you don't have the Spirit, Jesus is rejected. If you do have the Spirit, Jesus is exalted as Lord. And that's the line in the sand. If, if, if you encounter someone that is exalting Jesus as Lord, they have the, the Spirit of the living God within them. If you encounter someone, no matter what they claim about where they go to church, if they don't with their mouth and with their lives show that Jesus is Lord, They probably don't have the Spirit of God. All Christ-exalting happens as a result of the presence of the Holy Spirit. All Christ-exalting happens because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad we celebrated Lord's Supper today. Because this passage is a whole bunch about what we're to do and not do. But none of this would be possible if Jesus hadn't come and dealt with our sin and our guilt completely. If he hadn't hung on the cross and received the wrath of God and died to complete payment for our offense and rose again to give us his righteousness so that we now, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of God and that makes us a dwelling place suitable for the Spirit of God to take up residence. And because the Spirit of God can take up residence within us, we can now say and live that Jesus is Lord. And that is only possible because of what Jesus did. That's not possible because of what we did. That's possible because of what Jesus did. And there's the line in the salt. In idolatry, it's about what you do and what you want. With the Spirit of God, it is about what Jesus did and what Jesus wants. They're two entirely different operating systems. And the Corinthians are struggling to move their worship from the idolatry operating system to the Jesus-exalting operating system. And Paul's working through that with them here. If I was going to paraphrase these first three verses, uh, I would say that, that Paul's saying this. You need to understand something about the Spirit of God. You used to serve idols for your own good to try to get what you wanted out of them. But now that the Spirit of God is in you, your role is to exalt Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God is about. It's an incredible contrast between what they used to do 
is idol worshipers, and what they are now to do is Jesus worshipers. They're two entirely different operating systems. The goal of the Spirit's work within us is always to exalt Jesus as Lord. Not just to exalt Jesus and say he's so good and so loving, which he is. And that happens along the way. But the work of the Spirit is specifically to exalt Jesus as Lord. The Jesus as Lord um, or Lord Jesus are phrases that uh, we agree with as believers, we can get behind, we use them frequently. Um, we can almost use it as a mantra or title. Lord Jesus, please, X, Y, Z. But think about it. Jesus as Lord recognizes that all authority is Jesus. All authority belongs to him. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, he said. That's Lord Jesus. It's a statement that recognizes the, the kingship of Jesus. It's a statement that recognizes and means that he has every right to do as he pleases. It means that he doesn't answer to us. It means that he doesn't bend to our will. It means that he doesn't owe us an explanation. It means that when King Jesus says go, we go. It means that we submit and that we obey and that we follow. And it means if Jesus is Lord and all authority is his, then every question mark that we have along the way, which I know are many, are answered by him. The burden of answering the questions and of providing what we need falls to King Jesus who has all authority. It doesn't fall to us. If Jesus is Lord over all, then every sphere of life belongs to him. What we do at home, what we do at work, what we do on the street, what we do right here at church, every sphere of life belongs to him. There's not a division between now I'm going to do my Christian thing and then I'm going to go to work. We operate at church under the kingship of Christ and we go to work under the kingship of Christ. And when we are at work, the Spirit of God is working within us so that we can display Jesus as Lord, so that we can exalt Jesus as Lord. And that, that works out so many ways that we, we don't have time to unpack that right now. Um, but Jesus as Lord is a truth that applies everywhere. It is an absolute statement that defines everything for us. If we have his spirit, then the spirit of God is working within us to exalt Jesus as Lord. Look at verse 3 again. Acknowledging Jesus' lordship is something only those indwelt by the Spirit of God can do. No one else can do it. And when something this significant is this exclusive, it, it isn't a suggestion. It isn't just a subpoint in the passage. Paul uh, mentions it in a couple other passages. Romans 10.9 is one of them. Many of us know this passage. If you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't, don't brush by that wording. Salvation hinges on recognizing Jesus is Lord. There's a, a coming day when all of humanity, those still in rebellion and those who have been redeemed, every image bearer God ever made will bow their knee and will confess. And Paul looks forward to that day in Philippians. He says, therefore, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, because of what we, we remembered in Lord's Supper this morning, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When the full work of God is revealed, everyone he ever made is going to fall down and say, Jesus, you are king. 
And they're going to do it in such a way that incredible glory goes to God the Father at that moment. But the, the center of creation's worship is that Jesus is Lord. That is true for all. Jesus is Savior for some. He is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord. Child of God, you have the Spirit of God for this purpose, to exalt Jesus as Lord. And KBC, we collectively have the Spirit of God for this purpose, to exalt Jesus as Lord. That, by the way, means that everything else that we uh, do with the Spirit of God or try to use the Spirit of God for is secondary and subservient to that. Every work that the Spirit of God does in our lives will serve the greater purpose of exalting Jesus as Lord. When we need wisdom or provision or comfort or rest or relationship, we should go to God. He is our loving Father that delights in us. We should go to him. But if we don't recognize that his answer to that request is going to be done in such a way as to exalt Jesus as Lord, we're going to be terribly frustrated. Our desires and our expectations will be foiled if we are seeking God to do something for us apart from him exalting Jesus as Lord. We should go to God. He's our dad. He loves us. He delights in us. We're supposed to go to him. But we need to understand, when we do that, every response from God is going to be aimed at exalting Jesus as Lord, not removing our pressure. When we recognize that, when we say, God, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family next month. I need help. We can pause there, or we can continue the prayer and say, would you provide for me in such a way that I and those around me see that Jesus is Lord. And we don't know how God's going to answer that prayer. We don't know what means he's going to use to do that. But when we are genuinely desiring to see Jesus exalted as Lord, then we are desiring the same thing that the Spirit of God desires. And what he sets out to do in our lives, we will be looking for and we'll be excited when we see it. And by the way, God says, I know that the birds of the field need to eat, and I feed them. I've got you covered. Seek first my kingdom. That's what this is. Let's say that we're on board with this plan of exalting Jesus as Lord. A really natural question is, how? How do we do that? Well, surprise, surprise. God is a step ahead of this and uh, already answered that question for us in the next section. So we can turn to point two, the means, in verses 4 through 11. We find a way that God intends for us to live out this reality that Jesus is Lord. And this is where spiritual gifts enter into the conversation. Uh, but you should know this going into this passage. Um, I'm, I'm not going to give a comprehensive list of the gifts I'm not going to define them. I'm not going to explain them individually. I'm not going to talk about uh, what might still be in operation and what might not be and who says what and who believes why. And I'm not going to do any of that because that's not what Paul's doing here. That's not why he wrote this passage. So um, if you saw 1 Corinthians 12 and you knew that dealt with gifts and you were expecting that sort of explanation, I'm sorry. Not going to get that this morning. But let's look at what he did say, uh, starting in verses 4 through 6. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. There's different gifts, different service, different activities. But what's the same? God is the Trinity, the Spirit, the Lord, God the Father. Whether, whether you look at specific gifts from the Spirit, enabling that he gives, or whether he, you look at uh, the Lord that you are serving in the process, 
or whether you look at God the Father who has empowered you to do it. It is all from, for, and by God. Everything that God does through his spirit is from, for, and by God. There's no exceptions to that. It, it comes from God, the ability to do it. We do it for God to exalt Jesus as Lord. And it is empowered by God. Every bit of it. As Paul moves into the, distinct, into the discussion about the distinct ways that the Spirit moves through different people, his emphasis isn't on what those unique different ways are. His emphasis is on the unity. We often come at, at spiritual gifts discussions to talk about me and what I can do and you and what you can do. Paul comes at the spiritual gifts discussion, discussion saying we, us, and one spirit, one God. Remember, the Corinthians came out of serving idols where it was about themselves. Their, their, their worship or their service came out of their own abilities seeking their own will. But now, as, as people with God, with the spirit of God, that's turned on its head. The Corinthians are no longer to, to worship or to serve out of their own will or their own ability. It's God's. It's God's will. It's God's ability. And because it's no longer about them, it is now about God, serving God is no longer an individual thing. It isn't about each getting his own way by his own ability. Serving God is now a communal thing for God. In all the variety of what God is doing, it all comes out of and goes back to him. Like I said, everything that God does through his spirit is about him. Gifts that he dispenses to his people to do what he intends to do are never about us. It's always about him. We're not coming out of idolatry the way the Corinthians were, but we do live in a society that's all about us, right? Think about the American dream. I'm going to choose what I want to accomplish, and I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and make it happen. That's like the opposite of this. That's idolatry at its core. We just have different idols. That's exact opposite of what the Spirit of God within us does. The Spirit of God moves within us to exalt Jesus. And he does it as a community Together, This isn't about me and what I want and what I can do and what I bring to the table. This is about Jesus as Lord being exalted and the ways that God sovereignly chooses to allow us to do that. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit certainly works in and through us uh, individually and uniquely. Praise God, you're not all like me. But the Spirit does that not for my good or your good, for the common good. God uses individual gifts to accomplish a shared good. God uses individual gifts to accomplish a shared good. And Paul, we're about to read through a, a list of some of the gifts of the Spirit that God has chosen to give to some people. Um, but Paul goes through that to make sure that everyone knows that none of those abilities exist for their own good. He goes out of his way to make that clear. He's emphasizing the sameness and the oneness of the Spirit as we look through the, these verses. So look at verses 8 through 10. And as we read, look for the unity that Paul lays out rather than the individuality of the different gifts. For to one is given the spirit, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Same Spirit, one Spirit, same Spirit, same Spirit. You can't carefully read that and actually walk away thinking that these gifts operate independently for our own good. 
Paul makes sure we get this is a community thing. And to make sure that we really get that, he closes off the list this way in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God decides. God decides who gets what gifts. God decides how they'll be used. God makes it happen. And even though God enables individuals, it's never for individual purposes. Everything that God dispenses to his people fall under his purpose and his will, which is to exalt Jesus as Lord. That's what all of creation is aiming towards. That's the direction we're moving, is the complete exaltation of Jesus as Lord. And so everything that God places within his people is going to serve that purpose of exalting Jesus as Lord. It, it crushes any sense of individuality we might hold about our abilities. And it's devastating to pride. Because whatever God has enabled you and I to do doesn't exist so that we can do what we want to with it. It doesn't exist so that people will say, wow, you know, so-and-so is really good at that, and so-and-so is really good at that. It exists for the common good so that individually and collectively we might exalt Jesus as Lord. God has intentionally made every single one of us different. And God has intentionally put us in the same room. Those are both God's design. You're not here by accident. You're not here because you found us on the internet. You're not here because you were born into this church. You don't happen to be good at something because of some gene that you have or some school that you went to or some trinket that you grew up playing with. You are here because God placed you here and you are good at what you're good at because God intends you to use that to exalt Jesus as Lord. By the way, you're also bad at some things because God doesn't intend you to do that. There's a reason I sit out there and not up here on Sunday mornings. I'm not musical. I, that's not, there's no exalting of Jesus that happens when I get up on stage with, a, with an instrument. God did that on purpose. As a, a uh, teenager, I really struggled with that. I had friends that were all wonderful musicians. And uh, this is a really shallow take on existence, okay? I will acknowledge that right up front. But they were all really popular because they were such good musicians. And I was the geek that sat him back with the soundboard. And nobody paid any attention to me. And as like a 14, 15, 16-year-old, I didn't really like that. But at some point later on, I realized God gave me, the, when I was a teenager and into college, God gave me the unique ability to listen in a certain way and understand technology in a certain way so I could mix and run sound um, in a way that I, like, I couldn't be on stage, but I could do that. And I, I, I became comfortable with that and I embraced it when I realized God intentionally kept me off stage so that I would do that. That's God's design. He made me good at some things and he made me really bad at some things. That's not a self-image thing. That's God's design. And we need to, to, to recognize that. God made you with a unique way of contributing to our collective exalting of Jesus. And remember, it, it struck me this morning as we were partaking of the Lord's Supper and I was looking at the cracker that represents Jesus' broken body. And I knew that my role today in this body is to, to do this, to deliver the word of God. And, um, and I, I was sitting there looking at the, the cracker representing Jesus' broken body, and I realized, I get to do this, what I'm doing now, because of that. I don't get to do this because I'm so good or because... God trained me or whatever else. Jesus saved me. Jesus reconciled me completely. That's his doing. And then God wants to make sure that the world knows that Jesus is Lord. And so he gave me certain abilities and he gave you different abilities. And we need your abilities. This, this whole part, the, the communal activity that we do is a proclamation that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus saves. This is not an individual thing. 
But what does it mean for us? Like, what do we do with that as a church? Well, on one, one hand, it means that if we approach this church for what we get out of it, we're not approaching it as God intends. If we approach this church to, because of what we get out of it and how we feel when we leave on a Sunday morning, uh, we're, we're doing what my dad used to do when he's working in Microsoft Windows trying to get things to line up with the space bar. There's a little icon you click to make that happen, and it works a lot better, and it comes out so much better, and there's much more satisfaction in the process. Brothers and sisters, we're not here because of what we can get out of it. And when we operate as a church, as a body, because of what we get out of it, we leave frustrated and we leave disappointed and we complain about things because we're not getting what we want out of it. But God didn't make you a part of this body because of what he wants you to get out of it in that sense. God made you a part of this body because he wants to exalt Jesus. And you get to do that in a way that I don't. And you get to do that in a way that the person sitting next to you doesn't. I, I, I find incredible hope in this reality. Because in all my sinfulness and in all my struggles and in all my laziness and everything else that I deal with, it's so easy for me to think, I can't, like, what can I contribute to the kingdom? What can I, like, can I really accomplish that much? I mean, I'm just me. But this is God's promise that, yes, he intends me to contribute to the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Not so that people walk away saying, wow, Jeff is really good. But so that people look at Jesus and say, you're Lord, you're awesome, we worship you. This is God's promise that no matter how you feel about yourself, you have a role in that. That's awesome. That's really encouraging. What do we live that out? Like, how do we live that out? What, what does that actually look like? How, how much do we have to do that? Can we, can we kind of buy ourselves some time? Can we take it easy? Can we disengage a little bit because those people tell weird jokes? Is that okay? Well, in the next section, the standard, Paul uses an illustration to, to help us grasp the fullness of what he means. Uh, and to be honest, it's a Pretty intimidating illustration. Paul says in verses 12 to 20 that our relationships to each other are to be like the relationships of the various parts of, of a body, of our body. Look at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is the one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul uses an illustration to help us grasp it. And he says, look, even though the body is one entity, it has lots of identifiable parts. Like we can figure out, here's, you know, here's my finger and my ear and my foot. But it's all one body. We can identify the parts, but it's one body. There's a definite whole. And it's the same with the church. We are a whole. There's individuals. Paul says some of you were slaves, some were, were free, some were Greeks, some were Gentiles, or sorry, some were Gentiles, some were Jews. Like those are definite distinctions. But we're one. We're a body. God is creating a unit, a whole, that is made up of lots of interdependent parts. None of the parts of the whole survives and thrives on its own. They all depend on each other. Paul fleshes it out in the following verses. Let's look at 14 through 16 first. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. A body intentionally, necessarily, has different parts. The differences between the parts do not invalidate some while affirming others. Feet and hand are different, right? And it's a good thing. They, they serve different functions. 
They have different roles. They're designed to be different. Eyes and ears are different. And Paul picks this ludicrous scenario, a foot feeling rejected because it's not a hand, or an ear feeling rejected like it doesn't fit because it's not the eye. We read that and we might chuckle or roll our eyes and say, like, that's so dumb. Like, why, why would a foot not be satisfied being a foot? Why would a, a foot say, I'm only part of the body if I'm a hand? It seems ludicrous. But what of a statement like, boy, I, I, I just wish I could have a real ministry in church, like teaching Sunday school. Or I don't really think I matter because, I mean, I can't do the important work, like read a, lead a Bible study or do marriage counseling. Those people, they're the ones with the real ministry. We've all heard or even made statements like that. And Paul says that 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 statement, that an ear saying, I don't really have a spot in the body because I'm not an eye, is akin to someone saying, you know, I don't really have a ministry in the church because I don't get to teach Sunday school. I don't really matter. Paul puts those two statements on the same plane. Of course you matter. You don't have to be an eye to be a part of the body. You don't have to be a hand to be a part of the body. In fact, it's really good that we're not all eyes. It wouldn't work. It just literally wouldn't work. Paul goes on in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranges the members in the body, each one of them as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He says, look, the body can't work if we're all the same. The differences are necessary. God intentionally made us different. He made us distinct and needed body parts. But he made us one body. If we had more time, we were going to keep going in the passage Paul even explains that the the parts of the body that seem lesser, they actually deserve and get more attention. Do you see the importance of our differences? The system wouldn't work if we were all the same. God intentionally made us different, and he intentionally made us one. Look at verse 18 again. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, As he chose. God chose how to make us. God chose how to arrange us. In the differences that he intentionally made us with, God created us to fit together perfectly. The differences that you and I have are the very reason that we fit together perfectly. We're so familiar with the term the body of Christ that we can risk blowing by it. So I'm going to pause and just go through a little list of Uh, some kind of no-duh statements about a body. The body is first a whole unit. The distinct parts are secondary. Unless you're a doctor, you really don't get to know somebody through their ears. You know, everybody else, you get to know somebody interacting with them, and you get to know the whole person at a time. The doctor just sticks the thing in your ear and stares at you and makes conclusions about you. Each part works for the good of the whole, not its own. Can you imagine a hand refusing to put food in the mouth because it thought the food was too good to share with the body? Or because the foot had a beef with the, the, the hand had a foot a beef with the foot and it didn't want to provide for the foot. Of course not. The hand's gonna provide for the body because it's part of the body. It needs it. Each part, each body part has a necessary role to play for the good of the whole, no matter how obscure it is. To be honest, I hope I never see my spleen, and I hope nobody else ever sees my spleen. But I'm pretty sure it's really important to the functioning of my finger. So I want my spleen, but I don't ever want to see it. Each part is dependent on the other parts. If my hand isn't putting food in my mouth, and my stomach isn't producing acid to break it down, my foot's in trouble. The whole is incomplete without any of its parts. If I lose my arm in an accident, I mean, I'm still me, but I'm definitely lacking something. I'm definitely limited. The head sets the agenda. The rest of the body is along for the ride. 
The foot doesn't choose the destination. Its, its part, its role as a foot is to make the head's wishes happen. And lastly, Jesus is our head. KBC is the body, and we are each a body part. I think I'm an index finger, and I desperately need the kidneys to do their thing. And, and we, the, the fingers and the kidneys, have no business refusing help to a foot or to a hand, or saying, hand, I really wish you weren't around. Actually, my finger was really grateful for that hand. KBC, you and I, this is where the standard is so high, it's extremely challenging. We are to relate to each other the way hands and teeth relate to kidneys. It's an absolutely interdependent relationship. You can't function without each other. And that's what we're being called to, to realize we need each other and we care for each other and we value each other so much because we simply cannot function without each other. And here's the deal. I cannot exalt Jesus as Lord the way that God designed me to without what you bring to the table. And you can't exalt Jesus as Lord the way that God designed you to without what the person sitting next to you brings to the table. It's absolutely impossible. We need each other. For us to function as a church the way that God designed, we have to come together to exalt Jesus as Lord. Anything else is less and is wrong. We have to come together. We gather as a body not so we can take something and walk away with it. But to say, I'm going to show up to church on Sunday and I'm going to be there in time and I'm going to be excited because somehow, I have no idea how, but somehow I get to help the other parts of my body exalt Jesus as Lord. Maybe you do know how, maybe you don't know how. That's a whole lifelong pursuit in some regards. In other ways, it's just a matter of starting to do something. But we need you and you need everybody around you. We're one, we're distinct, but we're one. This is an elusive association of people that have similar tastes. This is a body. And we need each other. I am convinced, I'm utterly convinced that if we grasp what it means to be a part of the whole that is KBC, a part of the body of Christ at KBC, we will relate to each other differently. And the conversations that we have and what we try to do around here will change if we realize we exist as a body for one thing, and that is to exalt Jesus as Lord. And the work of this body is incomplete if I don't show up and do my part. That will change how we relate to one another. And when we do that, I'm convinced that if we grasp that, if we value and care for each other the way that hands and feet value and care for each other, we will be vastly more efficient and effective at exalting Jesus at Lord, right here in our gatherings on Sundays and in the community when we go out. We cannot do it apart from each other. And this isn't about KBC existing for the sake of KBC existing or KBC thriving for the sake of KBC thriving. This, this goes back to the fact that what comes out of the Spirit of God exists solely for the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. And he chose to bring us together and he chose to make us distinct but one. And that is the means through which he intends to exalt Jesus as Lord. Well, let's, let's wrap this up. When we started the morning, um, I said that the goal of the passage is for the church to operate as one as they seek to exalt Jesus as Lord. And, and I said that my goal for us today, out, out of that, was that we as a church would grow in two commitments. One, to function as a body. And two, to do so to exalt Jesus as Lord. So I'd encourage you to think and pray about that. Ken's going to play for a minute, uh, and then we'll close in prayer. Um, but three things that we've looked at this morning. The Spirit of God works in and through us to exalt Jesus as Lord. 
the Spirit of God gives us abilities through which we are to exalt Jesus as Lord and to help others exalt Jesus as Lord. And God has formed us into a body. We need each other in order to exalt Jesus as Lord in our lives, in our gathering as a church, in our community, and in the world. And so take a moment and pray and and ask God, how would you have me grow in my commitment to function as part of the body? And how would you have me grow in my commitment to exalt Jesus as Lord? Let's pray. Father, we gather before you and we ask that um, you would work. Jesus, I, even I, as I worked on this passage and, and arrived this morning, I am so selfish and I have so many ulterior motives in all that I do and I confess that and I ask that as a body, you would surface those things in our hearts and our minds and you would clear them away, that we would be about exalting Jesus and that we would function as a body, that we would love each other and value and care for one another so that that can happen well here. And so we now pray that you would do that. Jesus, I'm staggered at the cost that you paid to reconcile us and to redeem us, that the conversation we're having this morning isn't uh, something that happened because we got a mailer. It is something that happened because you were nailed to a cross. And it is something that we are here as your body because you took the fullness of the wrath that we deserve and you absorbed it. You satisfied it. And you made us your children. And you brought us together. God, I desire, we desire that you, glorious, beautiful Jesus, would be exalted. We desire to live and to love each other and to work and to raise children and to do everything else in view of the fact that Jesus is Lord and in such a way that the world would see and would know we look forward to the day when our knees bow and our tongues confess with absolute joy and complete satisfaction that Jesus is Lord. And Father, we need each other. We need help. Would you work in this body to cause us to work together, to love one another, to care for one another, to value one another so that what we each lack to exalt you well as Lord is fulfilled and provided by the rest so that in this gathering and through these individual body parts Jesus is exalted as Lord we thank you for making us yours and we ask that you would accomplish immeasurably more than we can possibly fathom for your glory and honor in your name we pray, amen